0: When we face experiences and situations in life the perspective we take makes a big difference have you ever found that to be true when you go into a situation you go through an experience, the perspective that you take going in, the perspective you maintain through it, and the perspective coming out of it all affect the way you see it. That's what perspective is. And it makes a huge difference in how we act, how we react as we go through those situations and experiences. One illustration that may help you to understand the thought happened as the Standard Oil Company many years ago. A senior executive of the company was responsible for making a poor decision that cost the company $2 million dollars. At the time, the company was being run by John Rockefeller, and there was going to be a problem because of it. And on the day that it was going to be known that certainly Rockefeller would know about the situation, many of the executives who thought that he was going to bring fire down on their heads worked to avoid him to stay out of his path, to, to not be anywhere around so that they wouldn't have to deal with it. But there was one exception to that. A man by the name of Edward Bedford, he was a partner in the company. In fact, he was one of the ones mainly responsible for the decision that cost the company $2 million. He decided to go about it a little differently. He had an appointment already scheduled for that day and decided to keep it and actually show up. And when he came, he found Mr. Rockefeller sitting at his desk, busily writing on a notepad, and Bedford thought, surely it's about to come down. It's about to get on here in Mr. Rockefeller's office. And he waited as Mr. Rockefeller continued writing. And after a few moments, Rockefeller looked up and said, Oh, it's you, Bedford. I suppose you've heard about our loss. And Bedford admitted he had. While Bedford was involved, he was not the main culprit. There was another who was the main culprit. And Rockefeller continued talking to Bedford and said, I've been thinking it over. And before I ask the man, the main culprit, to come in and discuss the matter, I've been making some notes. Bedford later shared that this is what happened. He saw the notes, and across the top of the page on the notebook in Mr. Rockefeller's office on his desk was this, points in favor of Mr., and the name was there, And it was the man mainly responsible for this poor decision. What Rockefeller decided to do was to make a long list of the man's virtues, his good points. He made a list of the times that this man had made a decision or come up with ideas that had made the company money. So rather than coming down wrathfully, he chose to take a perspective that made a big difference. Have you found this to be true? That our perspective affects how we view and react in the experiences and situations of life. One of the issues that often comes that we have to battle when we take perspective on different things is the issue of discouragement. Because if we're honest as people... When we go through experiences and situations that are not to our liking, that are not perfect, and how often do we face a situation that is, the perspective that is natural to us would often lead us to a place of discouragement. We're returning today to the post-exilic prophet Haggai. A month and a half after he preached his first message in chapter 1 that corrected misplaced priorities, Haggai came to preach a second message to the people to deal with incorrect perspectives. You see, at this point, the people began rebuilding the house of God. They took Haggai's first message to heart. They corrected their priorities. They repented. And they got busy on the house of God. But now there was a problem. Some of them were taking a perspective that was negative, that was incorrect. And because of that, the people were starting to get very discouraged. And this, too, is where we must be careful with our perspectives. Perhaps you've taken time to look back on 2023 to reflect on what you experienced, some of the situations you faced. And I don't know how you would describe 2023. Maybe you'd describe it as a good year for you. Maybe you'd describe it as an average year. Maybe you'd say 2023 was kind of a bad year. There were some things I faced. There were some things I went through that that were bad. And you look back on 2023 with discouragement. Maybe a week into 2024 is you look forward because of something you've brought with you, some baggage you've brought into 2024. Maybe because of some things that are currently going on in your life that were going on. And you know, it's an amazing thing. We make a big deal about the new year, but it's still just one day to another. And, and all the bad stuff that you had going on in your life didn't stop because we changed the year. And maybe it causes you to look forward on 2024 with discouragement. Transparently, there are times in my life as I look at what is going on, the sum total of my life and ministry to this point, it can cause me to look ahead with discouragement. But remaining in a place of discouragement in God's work or in life is not what God desires for us. Do you think that God wants you to live a life of discouragement? Do you think that God wants you to remain in that place? Well, then what is the answer? Tell me what the answer is. The answer I believe we'll find from Haggai's second message is to deal with your incorrect perspectives through focusing on the Lord. Deal with your incorrect perspectives through focusing on the Lord. As we jump into the text this morning, I want you to see, number one, the identification of incorrect perspectives. Look, if you would, at Haggai 2, verses 1 through 3. In the seventh month, In the one and twentieth day of the month came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it? As nothing? Wow. What's going on here? God's asking the people to look at what they're doing and remember what is it they are doing. They're doing what? Rebuilding God's house, right? Are you with me this morning? Okay. They're rebuilding God's house. And God says, pause for a moment take a look at what you're doing how many of you here saw the previous temple solomon temple and you can imagine that there'd be some in the crowd who'd say yeah i did and god says as you look at this temple does it seem to you in comparison like it's nothing I mean, what you're doing now compared to Solomon's temple, it's not as ornate, it's not as large, it's not as beautiful, etc. It seems like nothing. Why would God do this? It almost seems in Haggai like God is trying to be the one inspiring discouragement. But what is going on is actually in relation to something that had happened 16 years earlier when they first came back and started the work. In Ezra chapter 3, we read in verses 8 through 13, we'll not read the entire text, but what you'll find in these verses is that they started rebuilding and they were doing the foundation. And the Bible says among the people there were older men who knew Solomon's temple who had been there, who had seen it. And then there were younger men who had... uh, They were perhaps born in captivity. And they had not seen the glory of Solomon's temple. They hadn't seen the beauty, the ornateness of it. And what happened at the end of Ezra chapter 3 and verse number 13, 12 13, is that the older men who had seen the glory of Solomon's temple they're weeping they're crying they're bawling their eyes out and then the younger men who hadn't seen solomon's temple as this temple is the foundation is being laid they're crying out for joy praise god at what he's doing among his people and the bible says that noise was so loud and so confusing that people who were just hearing it could not discern what the noise was. And so now, 16 years later, God is revisiting that event. If you saw Solomon's temple, how many of you, to you, this work seems as nothing? Haggai, as led by God, Knew man's tendency to compare the present work to the previous work. And God knew that this would lead to discouragement with the perspective they had. Do you know that this same phenomenon can happen in our lives today? We're tempted to look at prior generations and the contributions they made to God's work. We're tempted to look maybe even at others within our own generation and see the glorious things that they're accomplishing for God. And then we compare it to perhaps our own insignificant contributions and and we get discouraged. We're tempted to think, well, if only I lived during that time frame, or if I, only I had these resources available to me, then I could do something of more significance. Then it would be worth my effort to serve the Lord. But those kind of comparisons identify wrong perspectives that lead to discouragement, which in turn leads to despair, which in turn leads to depression, which in turn leads to defeat. And the Israelites had this problem. And Haggai knew it. And the problem with it is that if you continue in that way, guess what's going to happen eventually? You'll quit. Haggai knew, as led by God, that if they continued this way, they would eventually give up, throw in the towel, quit. And so God led Haggai to face the problem head-on so that their incorrect perspectives could be corrected. How? How was that going to happen? Notice number two, if you would, the instruction for incorrect perspectives. If you are experiencing discouragement, Because of taking an incorrect perspective, you can learn how to correct it through God's message to his people is found here in Haggai. One teacher said it this way, the key to tackling despondency is found here. Stop listening to ourselves and start listening to him and his word of promise. How can we correct these incorrect perspectives? Number one, I'll, I'll show you this. You need to refocus your perspective. Look at verses 4 and 5 of chapter 2. God says through his man to these people, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. And be strong, O Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. And be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work. For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not. God wanted the people to stop doing what they were doing stop looking at the temple. God asked them to do it here, but it was for this purpose to get them to stop. He knew it was already going on. It was going on 16 years earlier, to the point where some cried, and those who hadn't seen Solomon's temple cried for joy, and and there was confusion and, and discouragement among the people, and so God is saying, stop stop looking at what you're doing stop looking at you stop looking at your resources you need to keep working you need to be strong you need to not fear and certainly fear was present among them wasn't it one commentator wrote fear gripped many of the returnees fear that God had written an eternal Ichabod over Jerusalem do you remember that before they were taken captive and the glory of God departed from the temple and the the priest's wife named her son as she was dying Ichabod, the glory is departed. They had fear that no amount of praying or piety would induce God to bless them again, fear that the whole endeavor was in vain, fear that the political enemies would in fact win, fear that all was lost. We can stop right there and ask ourselves the question: do we have the same fears? Do you fear today that God won't work like He has in the past? Do you fear today that God won't save? like he has in the past? Do you fear today that God won't bless like he has in the past? Do you fear today that God has has removed some of his power, some of his spirit from his people and from his churches so that we can't move forward today? Do you fear that your work is in vain, that it's not going to amount to much, if anything? Do you fear that the political opposition that we see out there in the world is too great Great That we can't or won't accomplish anything for God. Do you have that kind of fear today? That perspective that leads to discouragement that ultimately leads to quitting. By the way, the timing of this message was important. We know the exact day on which Haggai preached this because it tells us in verse number one. It was delivered on what would be on our calendar, October 17th, the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. This feast was a feast set aside to praise God for his provision through the harvest. Remember his salvation, his provision as he led them through the wilderness after delivering them from Egypt. It was also when Solomon dedicated his first temple So all of these things are going on as these people are looking at what they're doing and comparing it. But God was making a point. His work was being and would be done. They didn't have to look back and look at what they were doing now and being discouraged. They could trust that God was working. Friend, do you ever grow discouraged by an apparent lack of fruit? the constant adversity and challenges that you face, a sense of insignificance when you compare your efforts or your your fruit to that of others? If so, then God's message is for you today to be strong, to continue the work, to be courageous instead of fear. And remember this. It's not our performance that matters, but his. His. Ultimately, it's not about you. It's about him. And that's the second thought here. Not only refocus your perspective, but rely on God's performance. You know what's amazing about this? God asked him that question, who saw Solomon's temple? Yeah, I did. Does it like this is nothing in comparison? Yeah, God, that's why 16 years ago when we started laying the foundation, I cried because it seemed like nothing. And now God's going to make a point. As you look through this message in Haggai 2, verses 1 through 9, you know what you find over and over and over again? It's not God saying, well, if you would this, and if you would that, and if you would be this, and if you would be that, over and over again. It's God saying, look at me. Here's who I am. Here's what I'm going to do. It's about him. Look, if you would, here as we see this. And what it draws us to do is to refocus on the Lord. When we refocus on the Lord, we'll be able to rely on him and what he does. Notice, if you would, the Bible says here that God pledged his presence. In verses 4 and 5 again, notice this. Of Haggai chapter 2 verses 4 and 5. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. And be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. And be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work. Why? Why? For I am with you. For I am with you. With you, saith the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not. What was the driving force, according to God, to continue the work? What was the driving force? inspiration, the encouragement to continue doing what they were doing according to God. It wasn't because you've got this and you've got that and and I've got this going on and all. No, it was none of that. What was it? I am with you. You can keep going. You can keep doing and you don't need to be discouraged about it because I am with you. Nothing, and I mean nothing, should encourage your heart and help change your perspective than this. God is with you. Listen to me, friend. If you're a child of God, God is with you. And I love this. God said, so my spirit remains among you. We've got it even better than that, don't we? If you're a child of God today, God's Spirit remains not just among you. God's Spirit here isn't just floating between us. It's filling in the gap, the space. God's Spirit remains what? In you. God is with you. Nothing, and I mean nothing, changes that. Your circumstances don't change that. Whatever is going on in your life, those things that are bad, those things that are good, your team winning or not winning, however that job is going, however your health is, whatever your bank account looks like, friends, all of those things do not change the reality that God is with you your experiences don't change that what you've done what's been done to you God is with you hey listen to me your failures don't change it your sins don't change it pastor you don't know what I've done you don't know how I've failed God. You don't know how I've not believed him. You don't know how how I've wronged him. You don't know how I've wronged a loved one. You don't know how I've been dishonest. You don't know how I've participated in something I shouldn't have participated in. Pastor, you don't have any... Listen, none of that changes the fact that if you're a child of God, God is with you, his spirit is in you. Nothing changes that. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, the prophet said, This is the word of the Lord, undesirable. Same guy saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. You can do it. You can accomplish something for God. You can do the work he's called you to do. You can get through this day in your life Not by your own strength, not by your own power, but by the reality that God is with you. Nothing will be accomplished through your own resources, but through the resources of God provided by his Spirit. What did God command based on this truth? Don't fear. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. He's pledged his presence. Number two, he's pledged his promise. Look at verse 5 again. He says, according to the word that I covenanted with you when ye came out of Egypt. What does God say he had done? He'd made them a promise. And God always keeps his promises. Friends, you look through the word of God. there are literally thousands of promises in the bible god has never failed in relation to any single one and many of his promises apply to believers you if you're a child of god here and now in your life and you can trust his promises how can you trust his promises well because of his character god's not a man god doesn't lie he always keeps his word You can trust his promises because God does not change. He's immutable. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can trust his promises because he is wise. Do you understand today that his promises are the best they possibly could be? God in his infinite wisdom, when he makes a promise, it's the best promise that he could possibly make. He won't ever come to a place where there was some better promise he could have made to us. God has pledged himself to you. He's pledged himself to me in so many different ways. Trust him for it. What do God's promises mean to you? Do you really give it much thought? How often do you find yourself claiming the promises of God? When you face different things, when you go through situations and problems of life, When you are discouraged because of the perspective you've taken, how often do you come back and refocus your perspective on God by claiming a promise? God's presence, along with his promises, provide for us to not fear. Don't be afraid. Number three, I want you to see this. He has pledged his plan. In verses 6 and 7 of Haggai 2, we read this. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once... It is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts, verse 9. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts, and in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. He's pledged his plan. Now, verses 6 and 7 may seem a little out of place. What's God talking about shaking the earth, shaking the heavens, and all of these things? Interestingly enough, verses 6 and 7 of Haggai 2 are the only portion of Haggai that is quoted or repeated in the New Testament. And it's quoted or repeated in light of God's yet future judgment on the world. Often when God speaks of shaking the heavens or shaking the earth, he uses that type of terminology in the sense of judgment. So God is talking about something that is yet future. What is God making clear to his people here? He has a plan, and he is working his plan. But in the meantime, God has a message for those who had taken a wrong perspective that had led to discouragement. God has a message for those who who looked at Solomon's temple, knew it, and, and looked at this temple and said, this temple is like nothing compared to that. What was the message? God said, this house that you say is like nothing this house that 16 years ago you wept and cried because it wasn't like Solomon's temple? God said, this house, I'm going to fill with my glory. This house, the glory of this house will be greater than the glory of that house. You're, you're focused on the, the beauty. You're focused on the size You're focused on the amount of gold. You're focused on the decor and the ornateness of it. God says that's not what matters. What matters? My glory. And this house is going to be filled with my glory. This house is going to be greater than that house. Wow. Even though it's smaller? Yeah. Even though it's not as ornate? Yeah. Even though there's not as much gold? Yeah. Even though it doesn't have the same level of decor and furnishings yeah this house will be greater why because it's not about all that it's about his glory and by the way there very likely is as, as God is speaking of things yet future in this text God has something in mind too Something's going to happen in this house that didn't happen at Solomon's house. You know what that is? Jesus is going to show up and visit this one. Jesus didn't visit Solomon's temple. But oh my, you read the Gospels and you know what you find? Jesus showed up and visited this temple. The greater temple showed up and visited so God has his plan and we can trust him for it. Number 4, notice this, he has pledged his provision. Look at verse 8. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. What are you talking about, Lord? What what do you what do you mean? The people were concerned. Even as King Cyrus Had provided materials for them Even as King Cyrus had provided resources For them to rebuild the temple They knew they didn't have the wealth That Solomon had They didn't have treasure laid up in store Like King David had laid treasure up in store So that when his son came to the throne He would already have all these resources to use They knew that even as they reached into their own pockets, they would never be able to bring enough like the people of Israel had brought when King David encouraged them to as they prepared to build Solomon's temple. But what does God remind them? All those things that you're worried about? It all belongs to me. All the silver you think you lack, all the gold you think you lack, I've got it. I've got it in store. I've got it in abundance. It's mine, as all things are mine. And so God was showing them they didn't need to re- worry about resources when they served and knew the God who owns all things. Friends, as you and I go about our lives, as we go about our work for God, we don't need to worry about resources when we know and serve the God who owns everything. Don't you think that God can take care of those things that you're so wrapped up about? Concerned about? And then notice, if you would, finally. Oh, what's the ultimate answer to discouragement? Notice this, God has pledged his peace. God has pledged his peace. You might think that the the opposite, if you will, of discouragement is is trust. And certainly trust is involved. But I would submit to you today that the opposite of discouragement is peace. When you experience God's peace in a very real, impractical way in your life, notice what God said in verse number 9. The glory of this latter house will be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And can you read those next three words with me? The next three words and what? In this place. Say that again. and and in this place will I give peace. in this place what place? You remember they had stopped doing the work of God for 16 years because of opposition and difficulty. And even now they were discouraged because this house isn't like that house was. Why even bother? It was discouraging. It was difficult. But God said in this place Will I give peace? My friend, can I ask you the question this morning? What is this place for you? Where do you find yourself in life today? In what area of your life has your perspective led you to discouragement? perhaps if you've already gone beyond that to despair to depression and maybe you would even say today pastor i'm i'm even beyond that i'm defeated today the enemy's trampling all over me i'm i'm living defeated can you speak peace in that place pastor I don't know if I can okay you don't have to God already has in this place will I give peace here's the truth of God's word God will give you peace right where you are that that part of your life that constantly is a bother that intrusive thought that pops up again and again and again and every time it does, it drives you to fear, it drives you to insecurity, it drives you to anxiety. That experience or that situation of your life, that every time that person's name is mentioned or every time that Reveals itself in your life in some way, every time that it comes up in conversation, it hurts, it bothers, it, it, it digs at you, and it, it just pushes you to a place of discouragement, it pushes you to a place of insecurity, it pushes you to a place of pain. God says, in this place, in this place, will I give peace you say well pastor that promise isn't for me okay then I'll give you one that's for you Jesus spoke to his disciples in John chapter 16 and do you know what he told them this world going to have tribulation after I leave they're going to drag you before courts and before before leaders And they're going to mock you. They're going to hurt you. They're going to imprison you. They're going to kill you. But in the middle of all that, my peace I give you. My peace I leave with you. Believe in me. You know what? It's an amazing thing. God will give you peace right where you are when you correct your perspective and focus on Him. You've heard me quote it again and again. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known unto God and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus that promise is for you so what's that place in your life if you can't speak peace that's fine then let Jesus speak peace over you focus on him and watch how changing your perspective will lead you from a place of discouragement to a place of peace to a place of joy, to a place of determination. I wonder today who's dealing with incorrect perspectives and been led to discouragement because of it. If that's you, Haggai's Eyes messages for you today. God's pledged all of these things to you. Will you believe him? Will you claim what he's given? and promised.